Katie Moore is a white woman with a Latino son and a black son. She continues to educate herself and reach out to strong women of color who can help her with her boys and help navigate the conversations that she has to have. She wants to make sure that other white women understand what is happening, understand how we got here with race and racism. Take a listen to another eye-opening conversation in this week's episode of Two Kids in a Career. Blondin Professional Real Estate is a family-owned boutique-style brokerage with over 40 years experience serving the counties that surround St. Louis. See how their approach to real estate will help you by visiting blondinrealestate.com. What happens when you put a career-focused woman with two kids trying to balance home and work life in a room with a microphone? Lots of laughter, tears, and great advice. I'm Jill Devine, and welcome to Two Kids and a Career. All right, so I've never really done this before where I've had back-to-back episodes on launch day. Sometimes I'll have a part one and a part two, but I have a different guest for this episode, and Katie Moore is joining me. You haven't had a chance to listen to my conversation with Dr. Banks that I just had, but I know you will. You are the reason why I was able to talk to Dr. Banks. So first of all, welcome to the podcast and thank you. Yeah, of course. So you helped make the connection, and we'll explain why in a minute. I'm back up (laughs) a long time ago. You and I used to work together, and you originally were going to come on this podcast for a whole different reason. (laughs) We were going to talk about something completely different. Uh, Maybe one day we can get back to that. That would be great. Totally. But then I reached out because you have two boys and they're adopted, and they are not white. And so I originally reached out because I thought, well, actually what happened was I had Jessica Butler on of Raise Magazine, the founder of Raise Magazine, which this was is a parenting resource Mm -hmm. for individuals like yourself, where it's non-traditional families, which when I talked to Jessica, I couldn't believe that in the year 2020 and in her as well, that there wasn't a resource like this. So I had reached out to say, hey, I had this woman on. I think it would be great if you listen to that and then we could talk about your situation. And then George Floyd and the murder of this man Mm -hmm. happened. And I immediately went to you to ask how you as a mother talk to your boys about this. And you said... You should reach out to my friend, Dr. Kira Hudson Banks. And I said, okay, what's her story? And all I had to do was Google her, and (laughs) I'm honored that she came on. So we had just this conversation that I know you're going to listen to. Um, There's a lot of things going on in my head right now after that conversation. And I think, yeah, and you, (laughs) you are more familiar with her. I mean, you've been following her for obviously longer than me. So I ended that conversation and am already overanalyzing some of the stuff that happened. And um, I don't think that I've ever... I still don't feel 100% comfortable saying this, and this is something she and I talked about, but 
saying, oh, I'm talking to a black woman. And right now I'm talking to a white woman. Like those things I never said, they felt uncomfortable. And now I'm saying them. And one of the things that I'm overanalyzing, um, and, and, and this is where I feel like we've got to get to a better place. And, and, I, and I feel this from her. I feel that she really, really wants to educate and she has just kindness in her heart. But there was a story that I told and, and truly it turned into, oh, this is this white girl's problem. Okay. If you really wanted to take it that way. Um, I, I told her this story about my daughter and instead, and, and I'm crying about the way I felt and I feel, and she was there offering her kindness and her grace. And I thought, this is what the problem is. And, um, so I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with all of it. And so I wanted to talk to you about that. And I wanted to talk to you about um, what you have learned from people like Dr. Banks as a white woman. And then obviously how you're feeling with your boys. So I just yeah. threw a lot out you. <laughs> Where do you want to start? Seriously. <laughs> um. Let's start with the boys. I think that that's going to make sure. a make it easier to talk about everything that we need to talk about. Sure. So we, uh, my husband and I, have been married uh, almost twenty two years, and we um, adopted our son Elliot. Um, he's fourteen. He just turned fourteen. We adopted him from Guatemala, so he's um, a beautiful Latino boy. Um, he's in the throes of teenager life. So that's a whole nother podcast (laughs) for you. Um, yeah, he, um, so he just turned 14. We adopted him from Guatemala. He was obviously international adoption. We, um, did some foster care in between. Um, when we got back from Guatemala, we did some foster care. Um, we're in St. Louis. We, uh, we wanted to be part of the solution. We wanted to be part of, um, you know, all the stuff that we were learning back then um, about different um, adoption ethics. Um, and so we thought foster care would be a great solution because it's not a like, hey, I'm going to, you know, take over from here. It's a like, you know, let me take care of your kiddo while, while you're working through some stuff. So, so we did foster care for a little bit. Uh, we were approached by a family friend um, whose teenage daughter was pregnant at the time and asked if we would consider adopting her son. Um, and we went through lots of discussion and decided that we would, um, you know, move forward with that. And a week before he was born, that situation fell apart. So, um, we had some, you know, major adoption loss. We had (laughs) the original topic you and I were going to talk about was infertility. Um, Mm -hmm. and we, we'd gone through a lot of, um, infertility, treatments, uh, several miscarriages, all kinds of loss in that arena. Um, so we were not unfamiliar to loss, but this adoption loss was, was different. Um, it hit pretty hard. So, you know, I met with a friend of mine who is a very seasoned foster mom and I asked her, you know, how do you get through this kind of loss, you know, when you're grieving something that's alive? So, you know, she kind of was like, get back into it. That's what you do. You get back into it and you, use that love that you were going to um, have for that child on another child. So 
Um, so we move forward with fostering again after that. And um, that's, we had a situation kind of fall in our laps with um, our, what ended up being our second kiddo, Desmond, um, where he was, um, his, his situation was complicated. Um, and because we were approved for foster care and approved for um, private adoption, he was, uh, we were a good fit for for him and his situation. So that's, that's how Desmond ended up being in our family. Cause that ended up obviously in adoption. Um, and Desmond is black. So, um, so you've got white mom, white dad, you've got a Latino son and we have a black son. So that is our family. We are what they call a transracial family. So yeah, that's kind of my background. Okay. So writing, what, how old's does <laughs> he, he just turned nine. Okay. So a couple things that I wrote down, <laughs> I know. So obviously with the infertility, which is one of the the reasons why adoption came in, because sometimes people, that's what Jessica Butler of Raise Magazine, she said, I don't think I have infertility issues. It's just that that's what my mom did or she was, her mom was adopted. And so she said, it's just what I want to do. So sure. that was going to be my first question. Mm-hmm. Second question, did you know that it was going to be difficult to have a trans racial family. Like, did you and your husband say, okay, we have so much love to give and we can't wait to have these boys. I mean, well, first with your oldest, and then obviously the second you probably had a little, a little bit of, um, you know, practice there, but did you know that that was going to be something that you were going to have to deal with probably for your whole life? Um, I would say we, like an iceberg, we saw the tip of it and we're like, that's a cute mountain. We could climb that. Um, not realizing the depth of what we were doing. Um, at the time, especially for Elliot, because his adoption process was obviously, you know, 14 years ago, you know, the education for adoption has greatly improved. Um, 14 years ago, it was, you know, check this box if you're comfortable with it and you're on your way. Um, so we didn't have a ton, um, especially for Elliot's adoption of education. Our education kind of came, uh, a little more organically, I guess, um, instead of academically, um, once the boys were in our home. Um, and I've actually, um, gone back and actually taught classes now, um, on things that I wish that somebody would have taught us before we started the process instead of in the middle of the process. But, you know, with adoption, with foster care, you have social workers in and out of your house nonstop. They know everything about you. They know about your finances. They know about your sex life. They know about your upbringing. They know everything about you. Um, and so they're very, very thorough. However, I feel like the conversations that we had before we checked all those boxes, because I don't know if you've seen for adoption and foster care, there's a form that you have to fill out as part of your paperwork about what you're comfortable with. Um, and it's everything from drug exposure to um, disabilities to family history of medical issues to um, different variations of nationalities and skin tones and all that stuff. So you fill out, which is a really humbling experience, and say, like, what what are we comfortable with and at the time, it was very much a like, well, we'll, we'll love everybody. And Russ and I both, um, we were both raised in adoption-friendly 
and diversity, appreciating environments. Um, the church that I grew up in, um, for most, for childhood up through, up until, you know, middle school years was incredibly diverse. Um, there was black leadership. There was, um, there were, you know, Indian families, there were, um, just, it was, so the white people were the minority there. So that's what I grew up with. Um, Russ grew up with similar situation where, um, he grew up in Arkansas and the neighborhood he was in the church he went to, it was very diverse. Um, so we grew, we went into this process thinking like, you know, we don't have a problem adopting a child from another race because we love other races. I had a Spanish minor. Um, I'd lived in Mexico for a short time. Um, so we were like, we got this. I know how to speak Spanish. We're good. I will say a huge thing that kind of, uh, was a huge catalyst during Elliot's adoption. Um, and I don't know if you and I have even talked about this, but I went down there to bring him home, to bring Elliot home from Guatemala and, uh, actually got stuck. Our adoption process had many, many issues with it. And our agency wasn't being super forthright with all that information. So I actually got stuck there and I was supposed to be there about three weeks and I was there, um, almost eight months. Uh So, wow. Yeah. Um, but you know, I look at that season and I thank God for it because when we went down there, even for our visit trip, we were scared of Guatemala. We'd heard all these stories about all the gang violence. I mean, it's it's like how other people talk about, especially with all the immigration stuff going on, how people talk about Guatemala. You'd think that it was like, I mean, I don't even know what, what to compare it to, but the, the stories we heard, you know, when we went on for a visit trip, we didn't leave the hotel. We stayed in a hotel for, for the whole week because um, we were literally scared to, to walk outside. So having been stuck there for eight months, I fell in love with that country. I fell in love with the culture, with the people. And had, had I not had that experience, raising Elliot back here in the States would have been like, well, you know, your country, you know, I just mm. I can't even imagine the things that would have come out of our mouths um, had we not spent that time in Guatemala and just fallen in love with it. Um, and really just, it's just an incredible culture. It's so amazing. Um, and we've actually been back 10 times since leaving um, so he's been back, you know, 10 different times. Desmond's been a couple times now. Um, we were supposed to go back this summer before all the COVID-19 stuff, but so anyway, all that to say, um, we got into this. I think that was your original question. Did we get into this knowing what we were getting into? And no, we did not. We had no idea. We thought Guatemala was a scary, bad place. We, you know, thought we weren't, didn't have any racist thoughts or opinions. We thought I didn't even know white privilege was a thing. Um, I had no idea about things that we've learned ever since then, you know, about any of the actual real history of people of color in this country. Um, you know, you, even back then I would, would have said, you know, that like, yeah, the native Americans, you know, got kind of a bad, bad gig, but it's fine. You know, the things that I probably would have come out of my mouth 15 years ago or even 10 years ago, I'm just thankful that, you know, I actually have actually gone back because I was blogging during the Guatemala phase and I had to go back and delete a few blogs because I was like, I cannot believe the things that I put out there of like, ugh, it was just, it was bad. But here's the one thing, though, that I want to stop you on because we're all constantly, hopefully, educating ourselves and changing and evolving. And what you don't know, you don't know. And so- 
I totally do appreciate what you were saying. And I get what you mean about going back in and, and deleting those things. But I also think where we are now, I mean, I'm a 43 year old woman and I definitely know that I am not to where I want to be when, it, especially after talking, talking to Dr. Banks, I'm like, oh, wow. History was not Ooh. my thing. Like yeah. I, yeah. wow. Um, yeah. Okay. So then, well, let's fast forward to does though. I mean, yeah. both boys are definitely different. Um, yeah. And, and I guess both of them though, did they ever ask questions growing up? Like, why are you white? Why is dad white? Or is it just, that's mom and dad? Um, I would say more often than not, it's just mom and dad. Um, okay. They, we had friends that had six kids and they were all carbon copies of mom and dad. And there was one night we left their house and Elliot said, mom, I think it's just really weird that they all look the same. And like, uh, we were cracking up cause we're like, that's what, you know, that's what families do. Like, they're like, Oh, I have his nose and his, you know, whatever. And like, we obviously don't have those conversations in our home. Um, but you know, there was lots of funny stuff as they were growing of, um, there's a conversation one day at the dinner table, something had happened at school when Elliot was in, uh, maybe kindergarten, first grade. Um, and Des was a baby. And so I was like, okay, Elliot, what, what color are you? And he was like, I'm light Brown. And I said, what color is Desmond? And he said, dark Brown. And I said, what about me? And he's like, you're pink. And I said, okay, what about Mm -hmm. dad? And he said, dad's hairy. And (laughs) I mean, those were, those were the conversations we're having, you know? And there was one time Elliot said, he said something about white people don't get bug bites. And I was like, what? Hold on. Like, what are you talking about? And he was, you know, and he's like, you and dad don't get bug bites. So he had like attributed an entire, um, you know, he'd made up his own stereotype about white people. Um, because we don't get bug bites like he does. So um, those are the kind of conversations that like, they're very aware we are different races. They're very aware, um, especially nowadays, um, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement, like we have a Black Lives Matter sign in our door and we don't have, you know, a Latino Lives Matter sign. So we have those conversations of like, what is going on in this country and what does it mean? And, you know, both of our boys have marched in immigration marches and women's rights marches and Black Lives Matter marches. So we are not, we've had the benefit of being in communities where this conversation was happening all around them, not just from us. Um, the, so the reason that I even know Dr. Banks is that our kids went to the same school together for a long time. Okay. Um, Elliot was in class with one of her sons and it's, it's Montessori. So it's a mixed age group within one classroom. Um, so we got to know a lot of different families. And the beautiful thing about that school was that like everybody's family was different. Um, whether it was, you know, that different genders within different families, different, um, you know, there were different races. There was all kinds of different races. There was tons of different religions. There was tons of different socioeconomic. It was really one of the most incredible um, communities I've ever been a part of. And we stayed there, you know, until it wasn't working anymore educationally for for our boys. But um, it was a really incredible environment. And um, so we didn't have to have those conversations in isolation. They were happening around our kids all the time. So that was, that was really, honestly, huge for us as we were navigating how to have these conversations. Well, now it makes sense to me that the conversation that maybe I wanted to have about 
obviously it's hard for you as a mother explaining things to your boys and especially to Desmond right now with Black Lives Matter. But maybe, and I'm open to talking about that, but maybe this is a conversation I think that maybe one white woman should have to another white woman who is not in as diverse of an area and doesn't really know what to do. Yeah. I I don't, I guess I think that that's probably going to be more beneficial because Mm. yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I can say I come from a place of oversharing all the time. Um, I also am a like serial Facebook poster. I probably post too often and say too much. Um, no, no, no. (laughs) Um, it's been really interesting because I feel like, um, so you've seen Desmond. Um, I don't know if you've met him when he came through, um, when we were working together. You know, we, we met briefly for the, um, blues parade when they won the Stanley cup. So briefly. Okay. Um, so he's, both of our boys are crazy cute. Um, Elliot likes to kind of hide in the shadows. Desmond is a, we call him fictional. He's crazy cute. He's ridiculous in the best ways. Um, he says the craziest things. He does the silliest things. Um, he's just ridiculous. And because of that, there's been, um, which again, because we overshare, everyone knew our infertility story. Everybody knew that we'd had um, multiple miscarriages. So when we adopted kids, our community like freaked out and just loved the crap out of them. Everybody knew my story of being stuck in Guatemala with Elliot. So when he came home, the poor kid was just overwhelmed with how much people just wanted to be like around him and, you know, tell him how much they prayed for him and that kind of stuff. So our, we have always been very much surrounded by community as we share our story. Um, so I, there's been an interesting dynamic even this week and I'll get to that in a second, but because our boys, people have fallen in love with them before they even came home. So as we work through the race conversations, everybody knows who I'm talking about. Everybody knows. And they've been in love with these kids for years. So it's not, it doesn't feel removed anymore. It doesn't feel distant anymore. It doesn't feel like, well, I don't know Mike Brown. I don't know, you know, George Floyd. I don't know Trayvon Martin. Like you don't know their moms. So you can read a post from their moms somewhere, but knowing, and this has actually kind of been a problem that I've seen is that people are willing to listen to me because they love my boys they're willing to think about things that they haven't thought of before, even though black moms have been saying it for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been disappointing that people haven't been in a place to listen to black women and would rather they accept it when I'm saying it. And I don't, there's been a weird, it's a weird thing because of it. I don't know if I'm communicating that well, but. Um, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So it's just kind of been a weird, like um, not a phenomena, but like there's people that I'm repeating things that I have learned from black women. And because I'm saying it and they're hearing it about Desmond or about Elliot, then they're actually willing to listen. Um, and so I have had to 
try to make sure every opportunity I get that I point all of the, like the questions and the learning back to black voices, back to black women, back to, so that I'm not taking up that space. I don't. Which is what you did for me. Totally. Yes. That makes sense now. Mm -hmm. Um, Because Kira is, you know, she's crazy brilliant. She's so wise. She's so kind. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. You know, and so there's, I know that whatever conversation you had with her was fruitful, you know, because that's just how she is. I, everything that she does, I listen to, I'm subscribed to, you know, cause I just, I appreciate her so much. And I joke, joke, jokingly with you was talking about how she's a safe place to ask dumb questions. Mm-hmm. Um, because as we've been raising these boys, we've had a ton of questions that I'm like, I know this probably is coming off as either white fragility or white privilege or whatever title you want to put it under, but I still have questions and it's worth it to me to look like an idiot for my boys. So um, she's been a very safe place for me to ask questions, you know, and to run ideas by and that kind of thing. But all that to say, there is, and I don't know if it's part of white fragility of like hearing it from someone who looks like me, who had the same upbringing as me, is going through this process because the realities are different. And I'll, there's a quick story as an example. Um, when, when we brought Desmond home, he had a ton of hair. Uh, he came home at two months. He had like the cutest fro on the planet. And, um, you know, I'd done a little research, gone through some websites and some YouTube videos and try to, trying to figure out how to do hair. Um, and, decided to just kind of swallow my pride and went into a natural hair salon. And it was a real funny story because um, I had him in a stroller and you couldn't see him. Um, so I, you know, roll into this natural hair salon, very white um, lady, you know, coming in. And like, it wasn't as dramatic as I tell it, but it felt like there was like a record scratch and everyone stopped what they were doing and was like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I just kind of nodded at them and said, hold on a second. And then I pulled Desmond out of the stroller and they were all like, okay, okay, here we go. And they literally just embraced me and they were like, all right, come in here. Let's start talking. And it was really beautiful. So they walked me through how to take care of his hair. He has gorgeous, gorgeous hair. Um, And I don't know if you've seen the old pictures of him when he had a fro, but it was humongous and gorgeous and (laughs) um, just, you know, a beacon of his personality, but the process to learn how to do cornrows, how to do, um, you know, flat braids and all that stuff. There were, there were two places that I went for information. So I went to the salon and asked, and they, again, they were so gracious. Um, they would give me tons of like free, um, samples of things. I mean, like here, use this, use this, don't use any of that stuff you got at this other place, like use this stuff. Um, you know, and they were always very, I would try something, I would go back to my um, house, and I would try one of the styles, one of the protective styles. And then I would go back into the salon, and I'd be like, how did I do? And they'd be like, Oh, this part's good. Next time when you do it, do this, do this. So they were wonderful. Um, the other place I went was um, another adoptive mom. She had a black daughter, and white mom, black daughter, and her daughter's hair was super, super long. And so she um, had started a blog, and a YouTube channel on how to do black hair. And there were parts of when I was in the salon, they would say things that made sense to them because of their experience with black hair that didn't make sense to me because I'd had zero experience. But when I listened to the same instructions from the white lady, 
she would say things like a white lady and it would click what they said. Okay, now I get it. And so I would kind of combine the different teaching styles that they gave me in order to figure out how to master this. So I think there's something to be said for white people walking other white people through this process, but there's, we cannot do this in a siloed environment. You have to be listening to the black voices and their experience and their education and their wisdom, because if we do it in silo, then we can create our own narratives and that's super dangerous. And that's something that, I mean, again, the episode with Dr. Banks, I was truthful. I was honest. I was all over the place. And of course, most, well, every single episode I record, I obviously do my research. And if, you know, there's some people that are listening to this, they've already listened to Dr. Banks. So I'm repeating it. But with her, I went through the opening of how I was going to introduce her like 1 million times. Okay, no, do this. No, say this. No, do this. And I was so nervous and so just scared. And I told her all this thing, all these things. And so then when I found this tweet, um, there was a tweet from Chanel Jones, who I love on the third hour of today. I'm not sure if you watch that or not, but she talked about... She said, and this is how I opened everything up. She said about active listening, quote, when you just close your mouth and listen, you hear more than even what people are saying, but how they're saying it. And I said that and I was proud. And I said, so Dr. Banks, I'm going to shut my mouth and I'm going to listen. And she was very honest. She said, I appreciate that, but that's not what I need you to do. And right in the beginning, I was like, <laughs> it's all wrong. Everything that I, not just me, it, we're, we're doing it wrong. And, and that's what mm. she brought up. She said, you've got to think about the people that are in power. Mm. The people that are in power are the ones that have the voices yeah. that get heard the most. Yep. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh. And she go, she went back to history, you know, was it women who got women to vote? No, it wasn't women who signed the laws and, yeah. and made that happen. And that really, that, yes, that made, you know, like, I think I nailed it. Like, I was like, I've got this great <laughs> open now that I've been so worried about. That right there is the entire lesson of what is happening right now in our world. Yeah, it's a mess and it's complicated and it takes a lot of patience and a lot of humility. Um, oh, totally. I mean, totally. And I just don't want, obviously, things just slow down a little bit when something so heated and so charged happens. I mean, that's just, that's just what happens. I hope it continues where we continue the education and we continue the talks and continue reaching out. Um, I, I mean, you can't control that. I can't control that. As far as other people, we can only control what's in happening inside our homes and who yeah. we surround ourselves with. Um, I've never been so moved to purchase books mm -hmm. that are for my kids and 
for myself or watch videos that are for my kids and for myself, because I know right now I I can do what I can do to educate myself, but it's those two girls in the other room that I have to be, I, I, I I have to, Mm -hmm. I want to, yeah, I want to. Yeah, it's really important. Um, and I, I don't know if you saw my post at the beginning of all this um, about asking white people to have more white, more conversations about race with their kids. And, you know, that's been a huge, there's so many resources. I said that before I knew there was going to be so many resources out there, um, like Dr. Banks, but um, I mean, she already covers stuff, but she's gone really aggressively at how to talk about race and racism mm-hmm. with your kids, which I'm super thankful for. You know, there is there's been different stories that I've heard along the way. Um, and one of the ones that was, that kind of stopped me in my tracks was from a middle school it, white kid. And he was in the cafeteria messing around. Uh, he and his black friend were both messing around, throwing food at each other, whatever. And the principal came in and immediately, I mean, you can probably guess where the story is going mm-hmm. immediately, you know, sent the black kid to the office, black kid gets suspended and so the white kid is like, nope, you can't suspend him unless you spend me, suspend me too. Like I am equally as guilty and you're doing this because he's black. And he's literally just announcing this in the cafeteria, which I'm like, holy crap. Like, you know, I'm, I used to be like hiding in the corner reading, you know, babysitter's club or something in junior high, but <laughs> I was definitely not like accusing adults, you know, calling them out on their racist behaviors. But, you know, and that, that doesn't happen without that kid's parents having very um, intentional conversations with that kid, looking out for those kids, you know, and there's a little bit of a panic that sets in for me because I need everybody to having, have those conversations now because I have kids of color and kind of a humble place. I don't know how passionate I would be about all this. If I didn't have kids of color in my home, I hope that I would be as passionate about it, but I can't separate that at this point, you know? So, But I am pretty desperate for my kids to be in a different America when they are old enough, you know, for them to be out on their own and to, Russ and I were talking about this, this week of just, you know, they're under an umbrella of white privilege when they are with us. People don't see, they don't make the same assumptions about our kids when our kids are with us that they would if our kids are by themselves. Yep there are times when we have to be really intentional with them and say, you know, like we've gotten pulled over before and we have had to change how we behave when we get pulled over. Because if my kids act the way that I used to, when I would get pulled over, there's no telling what would happen to them. So we have had to change. We've gotten, not that we're like irresponsible drivers, but you know, there's times (laughs) when stuff happens. Um, So we now do all the things, I don't know if you've researched or read the lists of like the black male code and um, having the talk with your kids of color about what, what to do when you get pulled over. Um, You know, so there's things and there's tons of videos out there of people actually recording themselves, having these conversations with their kids and they're heartbreaking. Um, And I for sure never had these conversations with my parents. And, but you know, it's, I just had, uh, an abbreviated version of this with Elliot because he just turned 14. Um, and he he likes a, to process information for a long time. So we have to, when there's things that are tough to process, we have to start pretty early. Um, and so just this week, he and I were driving to the dentist and I said, hey, like you are a year away from 
getting your permit. And, you know, we are, he's a homebody. So he's like, I don't want to get my license. And we're like, you have to. Um, so, um, we are having those conversations as well. But, um, you know, so I'm telling him like, when you get in the car, it will be a rule. You get your license and you get your registration and you get your insurance out and they will be sitting out all the time. You'll never reach into your glove compartment. You never reach below your seat. You never reach into your pocket. And if you get pulled over, your hands stay on the steering wheel and you like, don't move until you ask the officer if you can move your hands to get those things, you know, and I've never, never had to do any of that. I'm pulling out, I'm pulling out my teacher ID. I'm making sure it is on and evident so that I can get out of whatever business we're we're there for. (laughs) And I'm like, who knows what else is coming out of the purse because it's filled with stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Right. Um, And I've never once, never once thought, oh, I'm going to dig in my purse and he's going to, he's going to assume I have a gun. Um, Never once has that ever crossed my mind. So You know, if you read through, there's a million resources of like what's called the blackmail code or the talk. You know, those are conversations that we have to have with our kids that nobody had to have with us. And so we are having to educate ourselves quickly to make sure that we know what we're talking about and and can talk about it without crying. Because I'm yeah, I'm a stupid mess when it comes to this stuff. I got to like process it before I talk to my kids about it or else they'll be like, Mom, why are you crying again? Yeah. You Um, just listen to that episode with Dr. Banks. You're going to be like. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. Oh, man, I get it. But I'm glad we can laugh about this, too. And I mean, I know we're wrapping things up here, but there are a couple of the other things I wanted to to know and get to, because I think one thing that you and I did talk about off air about being uncomfortable and listen, no one should feel comfortable right now. Not one person having these conversations. I mean, like, sweaty. And yes, I mean, even you, you are a white woman and I'm a white woman and I'm having uncomfortable conversations. But one of the things that, you know, I kept thinking when I told you, I just don't want it. If it's a stupid question, well, guess what? I'm going to put myself out there because I'm not the only one. So I've been sharing a lot now. I mean, I, I feel like obviously I should have been doing this before, but now it's it's out there like systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Didn't know it until I saw this video and it broke it down. Mm-hmm. I shared it. Um, I something that Dr. Banks said, it, it goes back to history and what we are learning in school and what we're not learning in school. Yeah. Uh, somebody might think that I am so uneducated right now when I say this, but it wasn't until your post with the number of books that you have that you were offering for people to um, look at. Yeah. I can't, I'm sweating saying this, but I'm saying it because I said something to my husband and he was like, no, I don't know either. And I thought, Mm. oh my God, this is awful. Mm. I didn't realize, (sighs) I didn't know about the Jim Crow laws. Mm. I'm like starting to tear up because I feel so stupid. Like I thought it was, I don't know. It was a book. I thought it was a book. I didn't know. Mm. And uh, one of my best friends was giving me some resources. And I said, do you know about this Jim Crow book? And she said, I know there's a lot of books on the Jim Crow laws. And I was like, oh, my God, how do I not know this? 
And so I went back to your post and I found the picture of the book and I, I sent it to her. And then I just, that's a problem, Katie. That's a problem. That is a problem. That's a problem. It is. And I was very, very similar um, before. I mean, 10 years ago, I w- we would be having this conversation and I would be agreeing with you. I remember learning about Jim Crow, but it was in a historical context. It was not how things have played out, you know, and how things are still affecting it today. I had no yeah. idea. I'd never heard of redlining. I've never, I'd never heard of black, blackmail code. Um, I'd never heard of any of the, you know, systemic racism that's just so it's, it's out there. And now that you know, that those resources are out there for you to go dig through them. Now you're going to be like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and it's okay to be the new like, oh my gosh, did you guys know about this? Oh my gosh, did you guys know about this? Um, because that's how other people, I guarantee you have you know, tons of friends and family that don't realize the stuff that's going on either. You know, Until you like decide, I'm going to educate myself on this. You know, there's, there's one of the books that, that I read that was in that pile is called Roadmap to Reconciliation. And I, I, if I remember correctly, it's more like church-based. Um, a lot of those resources were church-based. But, um, but there's a chapter that talks about that everyone in this journey, specifically white people, um, have a catalytic event. There is something that acts as the catalyst where all of a sudden the scales are falling off your eyes the like your heart that you know was made of stone is now turning back into flesh because you are realizing all the stuff that you have been blind to. Um, mm-hmm. For us, you know that that catalytic event was you know adopting our boys and then having all the different things happen in St. Louis and in our country that you know thanks to social media were everywhere and you couldn't escape them um, and we had to pay attention now because of our boys. So what I'm noticing is that while Ferguson acted as a catalyst for some people, it started planting seeds for a lot of other people. And now this time, people are like way more willing to talk about it, way more willing to hear about it and learn about it. You know, I was accused multiple times during Ferguson that Black Lives Matter was a terrorist group and that people couldn't believe that I was supporting a terrorist group. I've been accused of raising my kids in fear because they're beautiful and why would anyone mess with them? And if someone did mess with them, they'd get in trouble. The good news is the amount of progress, like Ferguson just voted in their first black mayor and it's a female, like what? Yeah, that's Um, amazing. Right. So, I mean, there's so much progress, like large scale and there's so much progress small scale and um, internally, not just externally. So, I mean, be encouraged that you are on the right track. Be encouraged that you're like, okay, now I need to know, what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, if you didn't feel bad, that would be a problem, right? Yeah. And and that's the thing that I told Dr. Banks too, that I am coming from this. I'm going to be a more confident stronger woman and a more confident, stronger mother. Mm -hmm. And I am going to probably, I will mess up along the way, but it's, I have to be more confident. And that means more confident in 
the people I talk to, more confident with my kids, more confident with myself, more confident in any environment I walk into because that's how it starts. That's how it changes. I mean, I, I don't really, I don't really know what else to say. Um, yeah. I, I want to thank you for even connecting me with Dr. Banks because I know sure. she is a very smart woman and her time is so valuable. Mm-hmm. Before I let you go, Katie, any last minute things that we did not discuss that you want to talk about? There's a lot. I could I could spend a whole nother episode on transracial adoption. I could spend a whole episode on adoption. Well, let's do it sometime. After infertility. I mean, there's all kinds. We have the good news is we've messed up a lot, so I've got a lot of stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know. I mean, I just I you know if people could just do a little bit of work and then let yeah. that little bit of work grow into more work and take breaks when you need to, but don't, don't just set it on a bookshelf and then, you know, forget about it until the next hashtag comes out. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and if you're feeling really generous, write me a review and don't forget to join me next week for a new episode of Two Kids and a Career.